I'm excited to be talking to you guys today about Moses. Um, really excited about this. I've been studying and, and praying, and I really believe that God has some really great things that he's going to share with us today over the life of Moses. So we've been in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. That's kind of been our theme verse for this whole series. So let's look at that. Hebrews 12, 1 says this, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every Every way. Somebody say every. And the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Can we just pray this morning before we get started? God, I just thank you that this is a God-appointed word at a God-appointed time. Father, I thank you that every heart is softened, that every ear is open and receptive, that Jesus, that every life will be changed, that no one will leave the same. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You know, I think the story of Moses is just absolutely phenomenal. No doubt in the Old Testament, he's probably one of the greatest leaders that we've ever seen. And whenever you're reading the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers, I think there's so much to be gleaned from because I think no matter what level of leadership you are in, you can get something out of the life of Moses. Here he is. He's leading two million people, angry, complaining people out in the middle of a desert wandering around for 40 years and it always encourages me that until my influence is over 2 million I can definitely glean something from Moses. He is a phenomenal leader. Uh, we read through and we see he was a historian, he was a leader, he was a preacher, he was a statesman, he was a legislator, he was a patriot. But I think the greatest thing about Moses' life was in Exodus 33:11. His greatest title that he held was God called him his friend. And I think, you know, at the end of our life, I think that we could have a lot of things written about us. You know, maybe we did a lot of great things. We built great organizations. We were a phenomenal leader. We had a nice home. We did the Pinterest stuff, you know, went on great vacations. We did all these great things. Maybe you held great degrees from great colleges like Texas A&M. But I think the greatest accomplishment that we could have is that for God to write that we were his friend somebody that he could speak face to face with, somebody that he could uh, confide in. I think that that's the most amazing line out of the entire five books that Moses wrote. I think that line grips my heart the most, that he was called God's friend. How good it is to be called God's friend. He lived 120 years, 40 of which he lived in the palace where he learned to be somebody. 40 he spent in the backside of a desert learning to become a nobody. And then 40, he lived in the wilderness learning that God was everybody he needed. You know, the life of Moses is so expansive, and it doesn't matter what season of life you find yourself in. You can open up the book of Exodus and begin to read through the things that he endured, and no doubt it will begin to shadow things that you experience in your own life. Moses was a type and shadow of Christ in the Old Testament. He has uh, over 55 parallels uh, between him and Jesus. Both were persecuted. Their generation was persecuted uh, by kings that were trying to wipe out the entire generation and his mother had to hide him just as Jesus' mother had to hide him. You know, both fed people with bread in the wilderness supernaturally. Both had power overseas. Both were both seen after their death. They reappeared to people uh, later on in life. Moses is absolutely phenomenal. The story is amazing. And today I want to be talking to you about Moses through Deuteronomy 8.2. 
Deuteronomy 8.2, and we're going to be reading in the Amplified because we all know that is the Bible that Jesus reads. And I found out recently that it's the Bible that Jimmy reads. So, I mean, if Jesus wasn't enough for you, it's the Bible that Jimmy reads. And uh, I think that's funny. Um, and it says this, And you shall remember the Lord your God that led you out the out here, out all, I'm sorry, led you all the way, sorry, this is my first time to read, these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. You know, um, I, th- I find it interesting that there is a certain respect that you have for people when you've done it, when you've been where they are and you've done what they've done. You know, Brian and I, we, our kids were in private school in Sulphur Springs, and they had went to an amazing Christian school there. And there was this man that was always running every morning when we dropped our kids off. And me and Brian were Christian people and we would mock him and because uh, he was barely moving I mean he was slower than Christmas it was like it took every ounce of energy that he had to even lift his feet and to keep going and I would always say comments like sir you would be better off just sitting at home on your couch like I don't think that that's really considered running like just walk already you know you're you're running you're walking with style and uh and then I remember when the first time that I ran and started running I thought oh my gosh I look like that man right now people don't know if they should call 911 or if they think that I'm actually exercising you know like they're not sure how to respond to me and it was funny because once I had done it myself my respect for him changed you know it's funny how our respect for people changes we have a different compassion and a different empathy when we've been there and we've walked a mile in their shoes we've experienced that hurt you know uh, it was funny we were in my mom was in the ER recently and we were in there and She had all kinds of stuff going on, and they weren't sure what was wrong with her. And there was a nurse that came in, and she was so sympathetic to my mom. She was so, her bedside manner was so sweet, and she was so tender and just really nice. And I got to talking to her, and I found out that her father was actually in the hospital as we were speaking. And he was having a major procedure done, and she began to talk to me about it. And I thought, isn't it cool that she was more sympathetic than anybody else that had come into to that room because she knew what it was like to be on that side. And it's amazing how when we begin to go through things, we have a different respect for them and we get begin to look at them differently. I think I can look at Moses because I understand what he's going through. And in a way, I can see the process that God sent him down and, and the life that he's lived. And I see that in my own life as I think that you're going to see in your life as well. God tells Moses here, I sent you out in the wilderness these 40 years. Let's look at that again in Deuteronomy 8 2. He said, I sent you out here these 40 years, and we're going to look at these four things. He says, the first thing I sent you out to do was to humble you. Oh, man, to humble you. Humble, uh, humility is the cure for pride. And isn't it funny that all the prideful people never think they need to hear a message on humility? <laughs> you know, one of the worst-selling books is How to Get Humble in 40 Days. <laughs> 
Nobody would want to read that book, right? Um, humility is something that, it's funny that when God first calls you, that you really think that it's all about you. And I remember being a young leader when I first got called into ministry, and I honestly thought that once God calls you, then all of a sudden the next day the whole world opens up for you, and, and it's amazing, and all these doors begin to open. But when God puts a call on your life, that means that the process has just begun. And, and usually it's marked by a time in a season of hiding and a season of not being seen and a season of being faithful when nobody's looking. See, Moses had learned humility. He had learned what it was. Here he was in the prior 40 years in his life. He was serving his father-in-law, keeping his animals, keeping his livestock in the backside of nowhere. And before that, he spent time being humble, serving a king, a wicked king, a wicked king in his house, in the palace. Here Moses is he had learned humility. You know, I think there's one thing that we have created in our culture is an all about me uh, society. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, we're, we're all about us. What can you do for me? Not what can I do for you? And Moses had thought it was all about him. In fact, Moses, when God put the call on his life, he thought, well, I'll just make it happen on my own. So we see God call Moses. He's got this call on his life, and he's got a passion to free God's people. And we see him. He finds somebody, and they're beating one of the Israelites. And what does he do? He kills the man. You know, a lot of times the biggest mistakes we can make is to begin to take our destiny into our own hands. And then in that moment, he realizes that he was standing up for the right thing, but he did it in the wrong way. And when we're walking and, and not in a place of humility, we always think that our destiny and the results rely on us. But when, when we walk in true humility, we realize that results were always God's and that we just have to stay faithful where we are. You know, it took one day to get uh, the Israelites out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of them. You know, you get saved and it's an instantaneous thing, but everything else is a process. It's a process to begin to think God's thoughts. It's a process to begin to love your neighbors. It's a process to be sweet to your husband. It's a process to be nice to your kids. It's a process to love your in-laws. It's a process to begin to do all that God has called you to do. And God says, I sent you out here because I wanted you to realize that it's always been about my plan. You know, I, I saw a thing the other day on Pinterest, and I thought it was kind of cute. And it was a picture of a billboard, and it said, Make me laugh. Tell me your plans. Signed, God. <laughs> you know, a lot of times I think when I thought that God called me into ministry, I thought, oh, man, this is going to be awesome. You know, God's going to prepare this huge platform for me. and He's going to open up places. And I had it prophesied over me that I was going to write books and, and speak on major platforms and that God was going to open up stuff. And I thought it was going to be the next day. Boy, I just waited by the phone thinking that somebody was going to call me. I was the next Joyce Meyer. And, you know, what's funny is God didn't want to give me the platform before he knew he could trust me with cleaning the church toilet. Before I could rock a baby, before I could be in charge of vacuuming the carpets, before I could do the little things. Let me just challenge you. It's in those little things that you develop the character. Moses learned how to lead two million by leading cattle, leading livestock out in the middle of nowhere. That's what qualified for him for the next season that God had for him. Let's read that again. In Deuteronomy 8.2, it says, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all these way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you. And the next one is to test you. Oh, man, this is fun. You know, one of the worst 
things I ever heard at school was these words. When you'd come in and you'd watch a, see, uh, a show of friends, come on somebody, any 90210 people in the house, hey, and uh, you were supposed to be doing your homework, there was no TiVo, there was no, I mean like every now and then you could have the VHS with a timer that would go off, we didn't have that, and so I remember 90210, and it would be 90210, I didn't want to do my homework, I didn't want to do that, I wanted to watch VH1 Top 10, come on somebody, and uh, so I would put off my homework, and then I would come to school, and, and I'm cheating off my friend before school. That Just don't ever do that. That's not good. That's not smart. And, um, and so I was, like, frantically trying to copy all their answers. And then you think, okay, I got the homework done, right, Brad? And then you walk into the class, and the teacher says this, pop quiz. I think teachers just, like, they love to torture their kids. They're like, as though homework wasn't enough. Let's do a pop quiz. I'm like, really? And I always thought, man, if I would have known that there was going to be a pop quiz, I probably would have structured my evening a lot differently. I think I would have done some things differently before now to be prepared for it. And I think a lot of times what we don't realize in our life is that every day we're given pop quizzes by heaven and a test to see how are we going to respond. Um, when you're in traffic, are you going to lose your cool and scream at the car ahead of you? Or are you just going to chill and be happy? Um, you know, a lot of times, have you ever heard people say, this stuff always happens to me? Have you ever heard somebody say that? See, here's the thing is I had a teacher in high school, and the thing that I hated about this teacher is she would never let you fail a test. Jessica, if you failed her test, she would give you the opportunity to retake the test. And you would retake the test until you finally passed the test. And I think that God's kind of like that teacher. He's going to let you keep retaking that test until you're finally going to have the right attitude going through it. And if you find yourself in the same situation over and over and over and over again, maybe the problem isn't the traffic and the construction workers shutting down the lane when they're not even doing anything over there. Uh, we all know they're not. Or how about when you're standing in line for 20 minutes and they only have one cashier checking people out while the other two are sitting back in those sock rooms just visiting and big chuckles about their Friday night. Um, but maybe God is just wanting to see if you can go through those things and pass it with a clear conscience, pass it with the right kind of attitude. Maybe it's not about your husband doing the right thing. Maybe it's about you responding to him in the right way. Maybe when your response gets right, his behavior will begin to change. <laughs> Brian's too encouraging about this. <laughs> I feel like there's a personal thing here. <laughs> but the truth is, is that the word testimony, we all love to hear people's testimony. But the first four letters of that is test. And you don't get the testimony without the test. And if you take out the test, if you don't pass the test, all you have is the monies. And I think most of the, most of the church, all we have is monies. Everybody moaning about how we don't have enough money. Moaning about how our kids aren't doing right. Moaning about our employer. Well, maybe if we start passing the test, we'll have a testimony that's actually shining a light to a lost world. Amen? I think it's so funny to me in James 1, 2 through 4. This scripture cracks me up every time I read it. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. So in other words, let me just tell you this. 
Have you ever gone onto a car lot with Cole and just walked up and looked at a car and said, yep, I'll take that one without driving it? No. What do you do when you want to drive a car? Right, Brad? Nobody ever does that. They want to get in it. They want to drive around. They want to go by and pick up all the kids, see if they've got room. Let's go through Sonic and get drinks. Let's see how durable this carpet really is. <laughs> That's in my car. Um, let's see how durable this car really is. Let's go off-roading. Let's see how it sounds on the highway. All right, how about, have you ever gone and bought a new mattress in the furniture store? Anybody? You're looking like a fool laying on beds. In the furniture store, and you're cushioning it, seeing if it's like the commercial where they put the cup on the bed and it's not bouncing, and you're, you know, doing, the kids are jumping bed to bed, and you and your husband are laying down on mattresses in a public store. Come on, don't act like you don't. You're sitting in there in the furniture store, you're looking at buying a new recliner, you're laid back seeing if you got the right angle for the TV, you know? Is this, is this too on my head? But you would never buy something without trying it out first, right? What makes you think that God's going to use a life without testing it first? God puts you through things, and whenever you find yourself going through things, just know you're about to go through the best things because God's about to use you in great ways. See, they always test. You test it to see if the product can do what it says it will do. I think a lot of times we declare great things. God, I'll serve you all the days of my life. God, if you bless my finances, I will give to you all the time. But the funny thing is God's putting you under the test right now to see if you'll do it right now. He's looking to see if you'll be faithful right now. He's looking to see if you'll give right now. Every time that you get paid, it's a test. Hello. It's a test to see if you'll give the first 10% to God or you're going to keep it for yourself. Hello. Every time your neighbor does you wrong and they're not nice and they do things that are wrong, it's a test to see if you can keep a right attitude or if you'll be nice. Every time somebody uses you and, and is mean to you and does the wrong thing and they tell you off. I had a situation one time where this person just blasted me on social media. They said all kinds of rude, hateful things and they were tagging me and it was just awful. It was horrible. And I had friends of mine calling and they said, aren't you going to stand up for yourself? Aren't you going to say something? And here's the thing is I knew it was just a test. And I wanted to pass the test because I don't want to retake that one. <laughs> And here's the thing is that you can either defend yourself or you can let God defend you. But you can't have both. And I want to let God be my defense and my shield because I know this. He's way better at paying back than I could be. And, I, and let me just tell you, sometimes, guys, you don't have to defend yourself. Silence says it all. It says all the right things and the wrong things. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just to be quiet. It's a test. Don't let it get under your skin. Don't let them bother you. Just let it go. Whenever you're tested, I want you to say two things. Come on, say two things. Look at your neighbor and say, you have two things. You have two things you can choose from. The first thing you can choose, you can do what's easy. The easy thing would be to tell them off. The easy thing would be to dig up all the stuff you know about them. The easy thing would be to be rude back. You know, they were rude to you after all. The easy thing, or you can do what's right. 
in every situation you come in contact with, you can either do what's easy or do what's right. Here's the true test, though, because the Bible says it will show what's in your heart. When you do what's easy, it shows that your trust and reliance was always on yourself. And when you do what's right, it says, my trust and reliance has always been on God. You can do what's easy or you can do what's right. God says, I led you out here all this time because I wanted to test you. I wanted to make sure that you can do what you say that you can do. Um, The next thing it says, that he led you out here all these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to test you. The third thing is to know what's in your heart. Proverbs 4.23, let's read it together. I love this scripture in Proverbs 4.23. It says, keep your heart with some diligence. No, keep your heart with what? All diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Isn't it amazing how we have passwords on everything? Have you ever noticed that? I mean, we have passwords on everything. We have passwords on our iPhones. We have passwords on our iPads. And then we have the app on ours where find my iPhone or find my iPad. If you take my iPhone, the alarm will go off. I will find you (laughs) because I have my entire life on this phone. It's so awful. Um, We have car alarms, right? And isn't it funny that our car alarm can go off now in the Costco parking lot and nobody even turns around to look if somebody's stealing because it's so normal now, right, Elizabeth? Um, We have home security systems. Uh, We would never think to leave home without locking our front door. We would never put money or valuables in our car and leave it there unlocked. We, We have passwords on everything, but isn't it funny the only thing that we don't put protection on is our hearts? And here the author of Proverbs says, keep your heart with all diligence. That means that it should have more security codes than your house. It should have more security codes than your iPhone. And I think we spend more time protecting earthly things than we do the thing that matters the most. Most Because the Bible tells us here in Proverbs 4.23, it says, for out of it springs the issues of life. Another, um, another thing that I would like to tell you is that what you see in your life right now is really the fruit of your heart at some point in your life. And if the fruit isn't good, then maybe it's time to change what's in our heart. Is what's in your heart really does matter. God says, hey, here, I cannot let you go forward and do all that I'm calling you to do if you're toxic, if you're bitter, if you're angry. I love a pastor, a dear pastor friend of mine. He says that God is obligated to limit our influence when what we are putting out is poison. God can't trust you with greater until your heart's right. I hear people tell me all the time, I will never forgive them. Okay, well, then you're never going to be promoted either. I'm just not willing to let go of this addiction. Okay, well, then you're never going to see greater in your life. See, God wants, he wants more than anything. Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. I'm never going to give to God's house. Okay, well, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Hello. God wants more than anything. He wants your heart. It's never been about your attitude. It's never been about your financial giving. It's never been about all those things. He knows if he can have your heart, he can have you. And a lot of times I think we, we try to give God all this other stuff. Well, I'll serve. I read my Bible. I'll do all this stuff. The Bible says that you'll know them by their fruit. And the fruit comes from our heart. All the fruit of the Spirit comes from a clean 
pure heart. Nobody would go into a grocery store and buy rotten tomatoes and rotten, uh, rotten vegetables. You're, you're looking for what? The best kind of fruit. You want juicy fruit, right? The good fruit, not the molded over crusty fruit. But a lot of times we're shocked that God's not using us when what we're putting off is moldy and toxic it's bitter. We're vengeful. We say things with our words. Or how about this? Oh, we just need to pray for sister so-and-so. We mass gossip in prayer requests. Hello. If the church would pray as much as we gossip, we would see miracles. Come on, somebody. I was telling Jessica Shook the other day, I said, it's absolutely shameful, the conversations that happen around Christian tables, and we mark it as, well, I feel really burdened for, and then we begin to purge everything about their lives. Let's begin to know what's in your heart. In other words, God's saying, I want to know if I can trust you with what I'm about to give you. Think about this. You would never let a two-year-old drive a Porsche. That would be stupid, right? He, he doesn't, it's not that the child isn't worthy of the Porsche. The child can ride in the Porsche, but the child could never own the Porsche and drive it. Why? Because he's not on a mental level. He's not able to fully uh, drive it the way it needs to be driven. But in, in the same respect, you wouldn't want to give a 16-year-old a Porsche. Because you know that you were once young, dumb, and everything else, and in between. Come on, I, I swear, my kids are, when they turn 16, I want to get them the most embarrassing car they've ever seen in their life. And that be the car they drive around. But why? Because you want them to develop their ability before they get it. Let's start developing our ability and then God will give us what he has for us. God wants to give us good things, but he wants to know what's in our heart. When you say something and it comes out of your mouth, then you say, I didn't really mean to say that. Yeah, you did. It was down in there. It's commandment. What is the greatest commandment? And he says, you have one commandment. And it is the greatest of these that you would love, that you would love. Love is the greatest commandment. Let's begin to love people with God kind of love, with a big kind of love. And it's impossible to do number three. You'll never get to go to number four because number four is that you will keep his commands. You'll never successfully graduate to number four if you've never passed number three to keep his commands. You know, I love a paper Bible. There's something about a paper Bible I just love. Me and Mamaw were talking about it the other day, and I love that we have Bibles on our phones and on our iPads because, man, carrying around a Bible is heavy. Come on, somebody. Um, Brian, when we go to the airport, we're both pipe, uh, paper Bible people, and so we're, like, carrying bags full of books and Bibles, and he's like, this would be so much simpler if we would just go to electronic because then we could carry it in our pocket. But for me, when I sit down in the morning and I put this in my lap, I want to feel the weight of it. It's heavy. And I want to challenge you. It's a heavy thing that God's called us to. This is a heavy thing. When you hold it in your hands, I want you to feel the weight of it, how heavy it is. God's commands are heavy. And he wants to know, can he trust us with them? Because lives hang in the balance when he's called us to do something. See, God wanted to see, if you can't obey me in a wilderness place, then you'll never be able to serve me when you're in a blessed place. A lot of times I think we think, if, if my life was better, if I was in a different home, if I was in a different zip code, then I would obey God's commands. No, the truth is, life doesn't get simpler with increase. It only gets more difficult. It only gets more difficult. You know, we were, um, this is a weighty gospel that we preach. We were at a conference, and... Uh, 
I was there with Candace, and it was a women's conference, and I did not want to go to that conference. I went kicking and screaming, my husband shoving me out the door, and uh, I had to go and be with other pastor's wives, which is my least favorite thing to do. And um, most pastor's wives aren't very much fun. Is that bad to say that? They just... They, yeah, they're just not fun. And so I, I was there at the conference, and we had just heard a phenomenal word. And let me just say, as a, as a pastor, there's very few times where you're able to sit in a service and you're not responsible for anything in that service. And it is awesome. You're not worried about, is production going well? Is kids okay? Um, are they going to miss the transition here? Uh, you know what I mean? You're thinking about all the elements of service. So I'm just enjoying to be sitting, Ruby, in a service And she does an altar call at the end of her message for people to come forward. And there was this lady that she broke running from the top of the balcony, runs down, and she goes down to the altar. And when she did, my heart just rent. Like, I just felt such compassion for her. She goes, runs down to the altar and gets on her knees and just weeping before the Lord. And I just felt God just say, I want you to go pray for her. And I said, no, God, I'm clocked out. (laughs) I'm not working today. This isn't my church. I'm not responsible here. And he said, I want you to go pray for her. I said, I will not go pray for her. I was like, why don't you have somebody pray for me? I need somebody to pray for me. And he's like, no, I want you to go pray for her, and I want you to tell her this. And he began to give me a word for her. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do it, not going to do it, not going to do it. Do you guys think I did it? Nope, I didn't do it. Y'all believe in me too much? (laughs) I was like, I am not going to do it. The minute that that service was over, I felt so, I felt so disappointed. I felt so convicted. I was like, man, I missed my opportunity. And I just said, God, if you'll give me another opportunity, I promise you, I'll pray with her. So the next thing, we go to lunch, and then we come back, and I was going to the pastor's wife session, which you guys know I was really looking forward to that. And uh, I get in line to go in, and I look behind me, and guess who it was? that lady. And God's like, here she is. I was like, I am not praying for her in line to walk into this meeting. And the Lord said, you said, if I give you another chance, I'm like, God, I do not want to do this. I don't want to do this. And then we sit down. I go sit down at the table and I thought, I'll find her in a minute. Guess whose table she sat down at? Mine. And she's right across the table. And I'm like, really? Are you kidding me? And Beth Moore's in the session and she's teaching and it's powerful. And Christine Kane's in the session and it's, and it's a small group of leaders. And, and afterwards, you know, I didn't have a chance to talk to her before. And afterwards, you know, they're like, you can come down here and, and meet Beth Moore and Christine Kane. And the Lord's like, no, you ain't. You're going to pray for that girl. I'm like, but God... Okay, and so I look across the table, and I told her, I said, I don't know if this means anything to you, but when you went forward, the Lord just, and I began to tell her a word, and the Lord told me, and she began to weep, and she began to tell me about how she's going to trial this week. She's been in an adoption process, and they're in a heated lawsuit, and the life of that child's hanging in the balance. The courts were about to rule whether it was going to stay with her or go on, and she said, I can't tell you how much confidence that word gave me. I prayed before this conference and asked for the Lord to give me one person to give me a word, to give me confidence to walk into that courtroom on Monday. You know, let me just tell you something. This is a weighty thing. It's a weighty, weighty thing. And God wants to know, can he trust you with what he's going to give you? Can he trust you to pray for that person? 
Can he trust you to step out in faith? Can he trust you? And it's oftentimes in just the little things. He wants to know, are we going to keep his commands or not? Because if we can do it in prophesying over somebody or praying over somebody, or how about this? I, I go last night and we were, Brian's on this diet where he only eats stupid food for like ever. And I'm over there eating like ice cream and it's 11 o'clock at night and he's eating raw celery. I'm like, really? I want to kick you in the face right now. I need somebody to get fat with me. And uh, so he's like on this fussy diet and we run out of vegetables every five minutes. I'm going back to the store. And so I went down to Joe's Meat Market. Come on, somebody. Does anybody like Joe's Meat Market in the house? Those are my people in there. Come on. And uh, I go in there and I, I get my little jalapenos and the few things I was buying, my $5 worth of stuff. And there's a lady in front and I can tell they're going back and forth between her and the cashier. And she's crying. She's upset. And she walks out and I know she left all of her groceries. I'm like, wait, she left her groceries. You don't leave the grocery store without the groceries. And the guy goes, no, her, her card was declined. She can't take her groceries. And the Lord said, you're going to pay for her groceries. And I said, how much is her bill? And he tells me the price. I'm like, really, God? Couldn't she have just come in for a gallon of milk? And I look at the guy and I was like, I'll pay for all of her groceries. He said, all of them? I said, all of them. And Donnie was there with me who serves in our kids' department. I said, go run and get her before she pulls off and let her know to come back in and get her groceries. So she runs and knocks on the door, and I can see through the store window. She's in her car just weeping, crying. She can't go home with the food that she had come to get. And she comes back in, and she's bawling, crying. And she goes, I don't know why you're doing this. I just don't understand. I don't know why you're doing this. And I began to give her groceries, and she walks to the car, and the guy's helping her get into her car with all of her groceries. Here's the thing. I got in the car, and Donnie said, why did you do that? Most people would have just ignored that her card was declined. I said, because here's the thing, is blessing isn't blessing unless we're blessing somebody else. And if all my bills are paid and I have money in my savings account and I'm giving to heart for the house and I'm tithing to my local church, but I'm not able to give when God says give, then why have money for anything? The Bible says we're blessed to be a blessing. And here's the thing. God says, I want to know whether you'll keep my commands or not. And I felt when the Lord just said, because I said, God, that was a lot more than I wanted to give. And he said, if you'll take care of her need, I'll take care of your need. If you'll take care. Come on, somebody. If I'll do what he's called me to do, then I don't have to worry about the rest. God's going to take care of the rest. What is God calling you to do, friend? What is he asking you to do? And are you ready to do it?